0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop breaks down the mystery of human suffering, starting with the origin of man, and then how everything changed when God sent his son for our redemption. If you have a question or comment for a future episode, submit it by going to Spokestreet.com slash AskBishop.
1: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, joined, as always, by our good bishop. Thank you for being here. You're welcome, Kyle. Uh, Suffering we're talking about today, which I feel like is maybe one of the most difficult things for people to understand about an all-loving God and why is there suffering. So I I think this is a great one to, to tackle, and we've talked about suffering within the context of some different saints that endured lots of suffering. Uh, St. Maria Goretti, St. Katiri, St. Dimphna. And I don't know that we've really talked in, in length about suffering itself. So maybe to start with maybe going back to the beginning, you know, in Genesis, it seems like humans were created and there wasn't suffering that everything was good and, perfect and and then with the fall with sin comes suffering the, the pains of childbirth and things like that death even mm-hmm. so is this would we say that suffering is directly connected to sin in a way yes but i think
0: it's important i mean here we get into faith science and science questions mm-hmm. When we talk about paradise, garden of eden, the story in the book of genesis, there's profound truths there. We know from science, uh, we've talked about this before about the evolution of the universe and then the origins of man, the origins of of humans. Clearly before the first humans, there had already been death. I mean, animals died, the mm-hmm. dinosaurs went extinct, you sure. know. So and there was uh, physical evil in the world. In other words, we've talked before about the difference between physical evil and moral evil. Of course, moral evil doesn't come into the world until the sin of Adam and Eve, you know, original sin. But the
1: world was created by God in this state can, of becoming. Can we re- refresh us here? So moral evil would be uh, a person choosing the, the wrong, but a physical evil, is that like the like storms and earthquakes and correct. natural disasters? Correct, okay. correct, correct. Um, because as we read in the Catechism,
0: God created the world in this state of becoming. God created the universe in this state of journeying towards its ultimate perfection. So certain beings appeared and disappeared, there have been both constructive and destructive forces of nature. So we have physical good. There exists also physical evil, as long as creation hasn't reached perfection. Hmm. When we talk about um, this whole issue, I think it's it's important. And St. Thomas Aquinas has a lot of good, rich teaching on this. With the entrance of human beings, okay, and God creating the first humans, and we've talked about that. It's believed that God endowed our first parents, so to speak, with special gifts that go beyond what they would have had from the material world, from our so-called animal nature, which would be subject to corruption, Hmm. uh, subject to death. But through a supernatural grace given to the soul, It's thought that the body would have been preserved from corruption and from death. What we call the preternatural gifts. Okay, this is the state of paradise. These special endowments or graces that were given to perfect our natural state. And for example, you know, we have reason and freedom made us capable of communion with God. So these gifts that God gave were added to human nature along with the gift of immortality to overcome our natural biological end, which is death. So, St. Thomas Aquinas wrote about this, a lot of speculation about, okay, what was this original state like, calls the state of original justice or original integrity. What would that life have been like? Uh-huh. Now, there you re- we really get into a lot of speculation, um, freedom from suffering and death you know, and you have to be careful because you kind of start like imagining a lot and there's all kinds of views. Some would think that the first humans lived in an earthly paradise in which at least part of the planet would be very different from the rest of the planet where there would have been no, no death, no physical evils. Uh-huh. Others kind of say, well, what that would have meant, freedom from death, meant that you just would have a perpetual life on earth. You know, humans. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of other theologians, including St. Augustine, who thought that eventually our first parents and their sinless descendants would have entered into a glorified state comparable to that of Jesus or, or Mary had, you know, Jesus after his resurrection or Mary with her assumption. So it would have been not death as we know it, it would have been a passage to this mm-hmm. more perfect glorified life others assume that in paradise there would have been freedom from any pain whatsoever that there wouldn't be any need to strive to grow in Hmm. wisdom or virtue but when you look at you know the actual teaching of the church okay yeah um because there's all this speculation we're dealing here in the realm of mystery i mean you know we don't have a whole lot of information on this um but when you think about those first humans in this preternatural, sinless state, I always like the opinion of the last of the fathers of the church, who was Saint Maximus the Confessor. Hmm. His opinion was that this state, this this original justice, this was lost at the very instant of the creation of the first human beings. Okay. And he said, and this is a quote. St. Maximus wrote, at the instant he was created, the first man, by use of his senses, squandered this spiritual capacity, the natural desire of the mind for God on sensible things. So, however long this would have lasted, this this period of human sinlessness, original Uh justice, original integrity, would have just been a glimmer that happened tens of thousands of years ago and may have been lost really quickly. We don't really know. We do know, though, that human life became inundated by sin. Mm -hmm. Sinful tendencies, separation from God, suffering, death. So how long did they have these preternatural gifts? We don't know. We do know, though, that we don't have them now. (laughs) So that's the reality. You know, St. Thomas talked about the different wounds that were left after the fall. Mm -hmm. Um, They were kind of deep wounds. And he speaks of a wounding of
1: nature. So, anyhow, I could go on and on. Well, it's interesting because you brought up the comparison to Mary and Jesus' Assumption and Ascension as being an example of being without sin and having this experience. But they certainly endured suffering even in their sinless state, I mean Jesus endured immense suffering. I imagine throughout his life, but then especially at the end of his life on Earth, is, exactly. You know, and I'm sure Mary also suffered and seen her. And if nothing else, seeing her son suffering caused her to suffer, and uh, she's has the seven sorrows and and things like that. So it seems like. Even if you were able to be perfect, you, you would still endure suffering. That it's not your your sin doesn't cause suffering necessarily it, right, because it could. Right. Of course that was the whole thing in the book of Job. Right.
0: Right. Yeah, uh, who was innocent and his accusers were saying, well, he had to have sinned because they believed that all suffering was a punishment from God. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's a great book of the Old Testament that that delves into this mystery of human suffering, and I think we can learn a lot from that book. Of course, the Gospel even more. The
1: Gospel is even more. But um, yeah, because yeah, I think that story of Job, for an example, and but uh, I mean any saint or prophet, you can see suffering that happened. It still begs the question of why. Would an all-loving and all-powerful God allow that? I And I guess you could ask if he wants it also, but as a parent myself, you know, I don't want to see my kids suffer. And if there was something that I could do to prevent it and I didn't, well, does that make me a loving father? No, I mean, we, you know, in love as a father, um,
0: Obviously, and I think you could look at the analogy with with God our Father. You want what's best for your children, just like God wants what's best. So we fight against evil, including physical evil. We, we combat suffering. I mean, we look at the medical profession. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus' healings in the Gospels um, would be another example. Uh, so you're correct. God allows suffering. We talk about this mystery of suffering. How does God deal with it? You know, he sends his son and we see suffering conquered by love. Hmm. That's basically, you know, that's foundational for our faith. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those are the words that Jesus said to Nicodemus. So the very heart of God's plan is this saving work. You know, he's a God who saves, which means liberation from evil and this is then gets to the whole issue of the problem of suffering and what happened is his son took on our suffering Mm -hmm. this is the redemption you have temporal sufferings all kinds of sufferings but you know what the definitive suffering is is the loss of eternal life damnation Mm -hmm. so jesus came and uh primarily to protect us against that definitive evil and definitive suffering, which is damnation. He struck evil at its roots.
1: So, yeah, this is getting into deep mysteries here, Kyle. Yeah, well, and Jesus takes on this immense suffering so that we can get into heaven, but it doesn't alleviate all of our earthly suffering. Maybe it does alleviate some Phenomenal. Right.
0: I mean, yeah, suffering is, we're still in this imperfect world, mm-hmm. a world marred by sin. There is a lot of suffering. I mean, all kinds of suffering, mental, physical. Jesus took this suffering upon his very self. And by means of that suffering, he brought about our salvation. How do we deal with our suffering? It. I think it, I mean, Jesus talks about taking up our cross and to be united with him so jesus who suffered voluntarily suffered innocently he calls us to share in his suffering so what do we do when we encounter suffering in our life we're called to share in the suffering of christ so human suffering is now in a new situation because of jesus and we can participate with him. We're called to share in his suffering through which he accomplished our redemption. All human suffering has been redeemed. So basically, and St. John Paul II said this, Christ has raised human suffering to the level of the redemption. Hmm. And of course we see his ultimate victory in the resurrection. I mean, St. Paul also writes a lot about this, you know, think of all the sufferings that St. Paul endured, but he united them to the suffering of Christ for the salvation of others. And that's what we are called to do. Now, it's a trial, can be very hard and takes faith. But
1: the very heart of our faith is the Paschal mystery of the cross and the resurrection all right, this is good. I want to take a break. Uh, reminder, if people have questions, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, I want to talk about redemptive suffering, the idea of offering it up, and how we can add to the sufferings of what's lacking in Christ, what St. Paul says. will talk about that and more coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
0: Notre Dame Federal Credit Union has a special mission to serve the Catholic Church in America. In 2020 alone, we've served over 800 parishes, schools, and nonprofits in more than 25 dioceses nationwide. We are a member-owned, not-for-profit cooperative, working hard to create a national Catholic financial alternative to the for-profit banks. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame
1: Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about suffering. And I think sometimes maybe suffering and sacrifice get used interchangeably, or maybe there's some confusion between those two. It, How would you differentiate the two? Yeah, I mean, sacrifice is broader than than suffering in a sense
0: that when we do different sacrifices, um, some of them do entail suffering mm-hmm. but we can make sacrifices that aren't really that uh, that don't cause suffering as well but certainly they go together we look at the sacrifice of Christ which was through suffering yeah you know offering his life
1: can you turn suffering into a sacrifice?
0: yes okay yep I, I mean, that's I think what of, Jesus did. When you think yeah, about yeah. It, 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 he didn't just endure passively the crucifixion. He embraced it. In other words, he made it an offering of love. Hmm. He made that suffering a sacrifice. And we see that at the Last Supper because he anticipated what was going to happen the next day. He anticipated that they were going to kill him, mm-hmm. that they were going to crucify him. But what did he do? He freely embraced that. And when he said those words, when he consecrated the bread and wine, he said, this is my body, which will be given up for you. Mm -hmm. So it was gonna happen, but he transformed it by love. He Mm -hmm. made it an offering, he made it a sacrifice. This is the chalice of my blood, which will be poured out for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. So, yeah, there's a transformation that took place in what happened on Good Friday. As the
1: son of God, Jesus could have, he didn't have to suffer either. Right. You, know. you use the word offering, and we, we hear this a lot. Maybe mom tells you, grandma tells you, you know, offer it up. If you've got an injury, something hurts, you've got a headache, offer it up. First of all, do you think that that's a helpful phrase Yeah. For me. Yeah.
0: I mean, you know, another word is another word that we hear in the liturgy sometime is oblation. Uh Yeah. I mean, it can bear fruit, you know, like I got a letter not too long ago from one of the people in the diocese who's suffering with migraine headaches. And she wrote to me that she was offering up that pain for me and the bishops and the Eucharist document that we're working on. I thought Mm. that was beautiful. So she's making that as a sacrifice so that it's, even though she's enduring this, she wants some good to come out of it. Right. So she's offering it up for us. And I think we can all do that. I do that. You know, I find meaning in suffering when I offer it up. And it might be for a particular person or a particular intention. Or I'll ask Mary Mm -hmm. to use it to dispense the graces Hmm. that... You know, she knows that are needed for someone. I find that part of my spirituality. I think it's a good part of Catholic spirituality.
1: Because I think we hear that and it just becomes a phrase like, walk it off or stop being a baby, you know, like just ignore the pain, offer it up, just stop complaining. How do we offer up our suffering? Is it just verbalizing? Is it just saying a prayer like, I offer this suffering for this intention? Or is there something that we physically or emotionally or spiritually do to offer it up? Yeah, that's good. That's a good question. I'll just speak for myself.
0: In my own prayer, I do link it to an intention. Like you're saying Mm -hmm. that, Lord, I offer this to you for so and so or for, for this intention. When I use that phrase, you know, to offer it up, I don't mean just to just endure it Mm -hmm. no but to endure it for an end a purpose and it's that uniting it with with jesus's suffering Mm -hmm. so there's this spiritual communion with jesus in his suffering and of course we know the great good that came from the suffering of jesus our salvation so we can participate we can share in that redemptive suffering this is kind of um a beautiful thing about the body of Christ you know the church is the mystical body of Christ and we can share in his afflictions and you know saint paul writes about this it all gets down to love doesn't it because that's what we're called to do in suffering is to unite it with christ and bring it into that dimension of love by offering it for others Another aspect, too, is um, as kind of um, penance. We can also even offer it as penance for our sins. Mm -hmm. Kind of think of the suffering in purgatory. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a purifying. We're purified by God's love in in purgatory because of the temporal punishments due to sin
1: that still need to be uh, satisfied. And is that... What we're supposed to be doing when we are, I'll call it making a sacrifice, like a chosen thing, like um, whether it be fasting or skipping a meal or not eating snacks or not having meat on Fridays, is that what we're supposed to be doing then as well as offering that sacrifice up for Uh, an intention or for our sins? Yes. I mean, both. It's not just skipping meat on Fridays magically makes you holier. Like We're supposed to be... Yeah. Doing something with that sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, it also,
0: um, there is a dimension of spiritual growth that happens through it as well, where by denying ourselves Mm -hmm. certain things, it can strengthen us in virtue. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I mean, a very simple example of food. Okay. What's the sin or the vice? Gluttony. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things. these sacrifices that we voluntarily do can also be for the purpose of of conquering a particular vice in our life or growing in the or the opposing virtue. So that's why it's good if someone is you know let's say struggling with particular vices, temptations. One can do uh, make sacrifice to help overcome that. Like I mentioned, one struggles with gluttony. Than, than you know fasting. if one stu- struggles with impurity, it may mean the sacrifice of getting rid of one's computer or something, you know right
1: Yeah So there's various dimensions mm-hmm. of this. You mentioned Saint. Paul and in Colossians 124, I think there's a, a confusing statement that he makes. He says, "Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh." I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. And I think that makes people say, well what was lacking in Christ's suffering and his sacrifice? Well, notice that first part before answering that question.
0: Okay. I rejoice in my sufferings, how did that go? I rejoice in my sufferings for, for your, your sake. sake. Okay, so, so he's talking see, to the colossians for yes, their sake, okay. for your sake. So he's Offering it for them, mm. you know. Okay. Uh, so this is what we've been talking about for the sake of his body, the church. But I would say, you know, the question is: Does that mean the the redemption that Jesus accomplished isn't complete? No, it does not mean that. Okay, it does not mean that. It means that the redemption that Jesus accomplished through love remains always open to all love expressed in human suffering. Hmm. So think about that. This redemption, which has been completely accomplished, is in a sense still being accomplished. It's still being accomplished in his body, the church. So even though Jesus achieved the redemption completely, he didn't bring it to a close. He opened himself to every human suffering, and he constantly does so. So, this suffering requires to be unceasingly completed, St. John Paul II said. So, even though he completely achieved it, redemption by his suffering, it lives on and develops as his body, the church, and our union with Christ, loving, loving, Union with Christ, we can say our suffering completes the suffering of Christ. It completes it just as this church completes the redemptive work of Christ.
1: Is this sort of the way that we are the body of Christ, that we are performing His mission here on earth? We're also participating in that sacrifice? And maybe this is a connection also to where Jesus says, to the disciples that they will do not only the things he did, but even greater things. And I've always associated that with miracles and healings yeah. and these, these great things, these positive things. Uh, but maybe he's also referring to the sacrifice that Jesus made, that they will be able to participate in that in, in even greater ways. Exactly. <laughs> You're very correct. See, this is the mystery of the
0: mystical body of uh-huh. Christ. I mean, it's pretty amazing mystery to contemplate how even now in this time, in this place, we can share in the redemptive suffering of Christ through love. I mean, primarily through love Mm -hmm. and bearing our cross, offering it for others and even getting more concrete. I see this, the fruits of this the good that can come from suffering for example people drawn to god by seeing a person who who embraces the cross of suffering with love with faith and hope and others get inspired by that and maybe even embrace christianity because of it right I mean, look at the early martyrs and what they suffered. Mm -hmm. The pagans were just, I mean, were just amazed at that. And whereas, let's say the persecutors, especially those Roman emperors, thought they were stamping out Christianity, the opposite happened. The suffering, the courage, the perseverance, and the faith of the martyrs led many pagans to become Christian. So good can come out of evil. I mean, that's how God works.
1: Well, isn't that the quote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? Yeah, that's Tertullian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I guess maybe along those lines and and mystery is even when Jesus was on earth, he healed some people. He alleviated some sufferings through miracles, uh, but he didn't heal everybody. He didn't alleviate all suffering. And certainly those that he did alleviate eventually suffered because they eventually had other illnesses or injuries or whatever right so and we hear about miracles happening today you know people going to to lords and have this miraculous healing but not all do Mm -hmm. so why does god heal some people and not others why does he alleviate some suffering through prayer or whatever uh, and not others well why did
0: jesus um Healed the sick. I mean, he was obviously, he had compassion for the mm-hmm. sick and the suffering. His healings really were a sign that the kingdom of God was at hand. Okay. Okay. So he came to heal the whole person, hmm. soul and body. We speak of him as the divine physician. And he was very moved by human suffering. Uh, And he made them his own. But as you said, he didn't heal all the sick. His healings, according to the catechism, were signs of the coming of the kingdom of God. They announced a more radical healing, the victory over sin and death. And by his passion and death on the cross, Jesus gave a new meaning to suffering. And it can configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion which is what we've been speaking about but then our lord invited the the disciples to take up their cross and to do what he was doing this compassion and healing this was part of the mission of the church now there are some people who have a special charism of healing comes from the holy spirit but We don't see healing of all illnesses, even intense prayer. And I think, therefore, we have to be careful about exaggerating this healing ministry in the church. Hmm. Because, yeah, this is a charism that some have. But we also have to keep in mind what is even more important. And that is embracing the cross. Mm -hmm. We have the sacrament of the anointing of the sick to strengthen those who are being tried by illness. And sometimes someone might be healed of their physical illness after they are receiving or they're sick, but much more often they're not. Hmm. But they do experience healing. The strength to carry that cross and to not succumb to the temptation of despair or temptation of rejecting God in the midst of one's illness. You have to definitely keep the full truth of this in mind. Again, looking at the effects of the sacrament, the anointing of the sick, it strengthens us, gives us peace, gives us courage to deal with serious illness. This is really, really important. The healing of the soul, really. But it might be God's will that there be the healing of the body. But what's most important here is union with the passion of Christ. That's what anointing of the sick is is all about. It's by the grace of that sacrament that we receive the strength and the gift of uniting ourselves more closely to the passion of Jesus. And that gives suffering a new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus that St. Paul talks about. And this contributes to the good of the church.
1: Hmm. So, along those lines, say, for example, somebody asks me to pray for their healing. Uh, Their mom has cancer. Can you pray for my mom? My will is that their mom is healed. So, I'm praying for healing. Should I instead be praying for God's will? Like, Lord, if you would will it, please heal their mom. That's how I pray. Okay. Okay. And that's
0: hard to do sometimes because you, you know, I remember when my mother was dying and it was really, really hard. And I saw her getting weaker and her pain and she was dying of cancer. That was a tremendous trial. And I was pleading to the Lord for her healing. Mm -hmm. But I also prayed, if it is your will. Mm. I knew it was his will that she have strength and faith. And hope in the midst of her suffering, that she had courage in the midst of her suffering, that was most important. And she did receive those graces. I mean, she, she carried the cross and I think she was really ready to meet the Lord. And that's what I pray for. When I pray for people who are sick or perhaps dying, and I pray for their healing, that's good healing of their body but more importantly that God's will be done and for the healing of the soul Mm -hmm. I think there's a little bit sometimes too much emphasis on physical healing Mm -hmm. I really do I mean as you said earlier Jesus didn't heal everybody's body Mm -hmm. uh, physical illness primarily he was about the healing of their souls, their salvation. Right. You know,
1: well, I feel like that's a, a great thing to end on and for us to remember. And as we're praying for others and as we are going through suffering and to not waste it, to not begrudge it and make it turn us to anger or maybe even turn away from God because why would God allow this? But for that to be an opportunity to draw us closer to God. And hopefully to rely on him more and, and be able to unite those sufferings with God. And, and I know it's, there's a lot of mysteries involved in here, but hopefully this is helpful for people. Uh, anything else that you wanted to say on suffering or any well, resources? You know, what's good for
0: us to think about, and I mean, I don't know how often you know you think about death and whether you'll be ready. Right. Um, when I think about that, or let's say, do you ever think like, what happens if I next week received a diagnosis of a terminal illness. I was just at my high school reunion back in Pennsylvania a couple weeks ago last Uh month. And I didn't know, but a good friend of mine, a girl that I graduated with, wonderful person. I had mass for my classmates, by the way. Uh But she wasn't at the mass, her husband was. And he came uh, up to me after mass and told me that she just had a couple weeks or a few months ago gotten diagnosis of terminal illness. Mm. And um, I was so sad I hadn't heard. And the reunion reception dinner was gonna happen, but I I went to bring her Holy Communion. I went with her husband. And um, I was so glad that I was able to do that, to pray with her and bring her the Holy Eucharist. But then as I was driving back the, the next day to Indiana, I was thinking about this. Here's someone, a good friend of mine, my age, You know, and then I started thinking about being ready when something like that happens, you know, like how can we be ready to be able to trust in a Lord? Yeah, would I pray for healing? Yes, Hmm. but you know what I would pray for more? That I would be ready to meet the Lord and hope that my suffering would bear fruit, would help others, that I could embrace that cross with Jesus I think that's what we should all pray for primarily,
1: not for physical healing primarily. Wow. Good reminder for us. So thank you so much, Bishop. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And before we go, can we get your Episcopal blessing? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our
0: help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For
1: more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.